This morning, the uh, Christmas carols that we're going to be singing, there will be a brief introduction into each of them. So this is the first one. Um, Cecile Alexander's story, Once in Royal David's City. William Alexander served as the Bishop of Armagh in the city of Derry in what is today the north of Ireland, in the mid-19th century. And this hymn, which we are about to sing, was not written by him, but by his wife, Cecile. In an effort to teach the children and uneducated people of the parish sound Christian doctrine, she composed hymns of the various phrases of the Apostles' Creed. Cecile Alexander is the author of All Things Bright and Beautiful, written to explain God as maker of heaven and earth, and There Is a Green Hill Far Away, written to the explain the phrase, He was dead and buried. This hymn, once in Royal David's City, describes Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, told, you will notice, from the perspective of a woman. Please now join, rise and join us in the singing of Once in Royal David's City. Christina Rossetti was one of three children born to Gabriel Rossetti, who brought his family to England from Naples, Italy. Her one brother was a scholar and her other a painter, famous as one of the pre-Raphaelites. Christina never married, though as a young woman she had had the chance. The young man was not where she wanted a husband to be spiritually, and that ended their courtship. Later, she was part of what was called the Oxford Movement, a movement of devout believers within the Anglican Church of England in the 19th century that did much to bring new life and holiness to that church. This next hymn, is a, um, there's a loveliness about it wrapped in a hardness that captures for us both the beauty and the complexity of Christmas. The first Christmas morning was not easy for Mary or Joseph or the babe in the manger. There was fear mixed with wonder, that we do well to remember even as that little child, grown to manhood, calls us today by his spirit to follow him. And we are challenged by the last phrase to ask ourselves, are we willing to give our hearts to the Savior? Please rise now and join in singing in the bleak midwinter. Scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians, verses, chapter 4, verses 7 and 11 through 16. Listen as God speaks his word. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Did you see behind me there are two Christmas trees, right? And you notice what's on the Christmas trees. And, and then I'm, I'm going to return to this Christmas tree at the end uh, in just a moment. Uh, but, but why evergreen trees at Christmas time? Well, because evergreens don't die. They, they stay green year-round. Now, they'll drop their needles at some point, but they remain green. Well, that demonstrates to us, one, the eternity of God, but also the unstinting, never-ending love uh, of God is represented by those trees. But then we have lights on. Now, at one point, they were candles uh, back in the old days until they discovered that they tend to set trees on fire. So, <clears throat> uh, but why lights, especially why white lights? Because light came into the world at Christmas. The light of Jesus came into the world at Christmas. And so those lights remind us of that. So we don't just do it for no reason. There's a reason we do it. And then you'll notice there are pickleballs hung up on this one as ornaments. You know, God intends for us to enjoy our life together and our life with him. And as we are together, and as we, even on a pickleball court, and I just would mention, you're not going to have me to kick around on the court anymore. Uh, <laughs> that's part of God's gift to us. He wants us to enjoy being with one another and being together. And that's all part of the gospel for us today. Amen. One of the glories of the church's hymn book is how many of the songs, and not a few of the tunes, were written by amateurs. They were amateurs in the real sense of that word. People who loved God and loved expressing that love in words and music. W.C. Dix, the author of this hymn about the coming of the Magi, or wise men, was an insurance salesman. Dix is famous for two Christmas hymns, As With Gladness, Men of Old, and What Child Is This? Both written a few months before his 22nd birthday, and both inspired by the same passage of Scripture. He read this passage, Matthew 2, 1 through 12, on the day of Epiphany, 1859, when he was battling a prolonged illness. Notice that Dix, keeping close to Scripture, does not refer to these men of old as kings, nor does he say how many of them there were, since Scripture doesn't tell us that either. Please now rise and join in singing, as with gladness men of old. Well, it's been an extraordinary four months for me. And... When I arrived, I thought it would be three months, and then uh, God in his goodness uh, delayed the coming of Tom Cox so that I got to spend an entire not another month here uh, and enjoy Christmas Eve uh, here at Kishwaukee uh, at least one, one more time. When I arrived, uh, it felt like coming home, and I think I mentioned that the first Sunday I was here. And I think the reason it felt so much like that was because this is the congregation and this is the community the only one, in fact, that knew our whole family. And to see so many of you reminded me of so many of the wonderful things uh, that God did in our family uh, over the years. 
One of the first things I did when I got here is I went to a high school football game. Now, I haven't been to a high school football game in 18 years. Uh, but I got to go to a high school football game and just see a community gathered around enjoying uh, what was going on there that night. I went to several soccer games, uh, and it reminded me of the days when I was on the sidelines, uh, kept shouting, keep your shape, keep your shape, <laughs> out on the field. Uh, at homecoming, uh, I'd contacted uh, Heather Aldricks, the uh, athletic director at the high school, and I said, it's 20 years since our team won the conference for the first time. I'd love to get as many of the players together and, and just have them acknowledged at the, at the homecoming game. And she made it happen. And so there they were, uh, several of those young men that had played on that team that was just so much fun to coach. And two of them, three of them, went inside in, in the common room. You might know that the, the school retired Colin's number and uh, had it framed. And they went and got that and brought it out, and they held it up uh, when they were all introduced. Later that weekend, we had a, a, a picnic at Ryan Glendenning's house. He didn't sprain an ankle, which was really quite remarkable <laughs> uh, in, in that work. But the joy of seeing those young men who have grown into mature fathers and workers and contributing members of this community, it was just extraordinary uh, to see. And just to be reminded of all of those good things that God did during the time that we were here. I also went up to the, uh, the ice house uh, up in Rockford, and I saw a couple of the young boys in this church uh, who were playing ice hockey. And it reminded me of when my own boys uh, were playing. And I looked at them, and I thought, to them, I don't think I can skate faster than them anymore. I think, I think they're faster than I am uh, on the ice, and they're certainly much better stick handlers than I have ever been. And I was reminded of just the beauty of this area. I don't know if you take it for granted, you see it so often, but to drive up to this church and to be able to see from horizon to horizon those rolling hills and just the beauty of the trees and, and that expanse of sky. Um, to be a part of this community is to be a blessed person. And I hope you understand that. Uh, and I hope that maybe I can remind you a little of that because uh, coming from a different place, you see again uh, with new eyes uh, what maybe at one point you, you just saw so often you began to take it for granted. This is a beautiful part of God's world. And you are a, uh, a product of that uh, entire en environment and of this community with deep, uh, deep roots. And uh, I hope it's a source of joy to you as it has been to me as I've returned uh, to it. So uh, Joni asked me to particularly say thank you uh, to all of you uh, for the welcome that you gave uh, to me and uh, on those several occasions when she was able to be with us as well. Um, we can honestly say that from the very depths of our heart, uh, we love this place and we love this church, which means that we love you and what a blessing that is uh, in our lives. So I want to talk today uh, about the church. I'm going to be looking at three different passages uh, as I do that. Uh, there are three places where in particular uh, Scripture talks about the body of Christ. Uh, the metaphor uh, that, to my mind, is, is the best one in Scripture for understanding who we are. In Ephesians chapter 4, the passage that was read, we read about the body of Christ and grace with 
building up love. In Romans chapter 12, we read about the body of Christ and faith with brotherly love. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit along with active love that, in fact, is so important that Paul takes the entire next chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, to talk about it. But what I want you to notice is wherever Scripture talks about the body of Christ, it always ends up talking about love in, in its different aspects. So I want us to keep that in mind as we go through our text this morning. It's the body of Christ, uh, uh, an important uh, doctrine, grace, faith, the Holy Spirit, but always ending with a love that binds uh, together. Notice, too, that the scriptures describe in these, what the scriptures describe in these passages is all about what God has done to create his church. What God has given to people in every time and place to use to bring people into his family. The church is a, a supernatural and a natural reality, both a spiritual body because it's filled with the Holy Spirit and a physical body because, well, it's made up of ordinary human beings like you and me. What this means then is this, and you've heard me say this before. God has already provided his church everything she needs to live the most remarkable kind of life together. You lack nothing. Now, why is that important? Over the course of my 42 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen lots of ideas about the church come and go. There was the seeker-sensitive church. There was the purpose-driven church. There's the emergent church, the attractional church, the missional church. What I realized after a while is that most of those ideas of, <coughs> of church and I, I must confess to you, I hate the phrase, a new way to do church. It just irritates me no end. Um, so say it to each other, but please don't say it to me. <laughs> but it has seemed, uh, as I've contemplated these different <coughs> iterations, that they really reflect more the American entrepreneurial spirit than they do Scripture. They're more about how we as Americans pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and by hard work, we make it happen. Well, that seems to me to describe the emergent church, the purpose-driven church, the seeker-sensitive church, far more than what Scripture actually teaches us about church. Now, it's not that those were without good ideas with them and, and, and usable ideas, certainly. But what I find in Scripture, that from its vantage point, the normal church, the church God blesses, is made up of ordinary people that he turns into an extraordinary community. Ordinary people that he then turns into an extraordinary community. Because quite frankly, what you need is not a seeker-sensitive church. You need a church that's going to love you on your best days and on your worst days, on your happiest days and on your most sorrowful days. You need that community that's going to come around and wrap you in its arms. Now, that happened to us when, when we were here. The last day of, of school, I went over to the junior high 
a remarkable uh, number of events. I was walking up to the junior high, and out comes, uh, I knew her as Perky Dobbs. And uh, she recognized me with my mask on. Don't tell her I didn't recognize her with hers. But she stopped, and we talked, and, and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go in to see Coach Lawler. And so she turned around and came with me, and she got me in because she had one of those magic fobs that opens the door. And said, you know, Bill Wessel just went in ahead of you. And, you know, Bill had been a good friend during the time I was here. And we go in, and sure enough, I get to speak with Bill Wessel for a little bit. Then I, I go up and um, uh, interrupt Coach Lawler's class. Knock on the door. He comes out and sees that it's me and sticks his head back in the class and says, you guys can do whatever you want for the next couple minutes. <laughs> no wonder he was my kids, one of their favorite teachers. And so Coach and uh, Lala and I, I got to speak. And, and, and the reason was twofold. I just wanted to thank him. When I was a young coach, uh, I had a question about how do you get boys who have been losing for a couple of years to think that they can actually win? And he wasn't a big fan of soccer when it started out. I think it's now his second favorite sport. I'm just going to guess at that. But uh, we had breakfast, and he came with three handwritten pages of notes to teach me as a young coach how I could do better with the boys uh, that I was coaching. But then, the day of the visitation of Colin's funeral was a playoff game for Stillman Valley in by the suburbs. And Coach Lawler and Coach Wilhite came straight from that game to the visitation and they came through the line. That's what a community is. That's what a community does. That's how they support you in those times. Of, and all of us need that, don't we? You need it as much as I've ever, ever needed it. And that's what the church is, the body of Christ that then builds each other up uh, in, in love. So the first thing to, to realize about this fact that you are the body of Christ is that if you're a Christian, no matter whether you think I'm a, a bad Christian or a not very mature Christian, that doesn't matter. What matters is that if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body of Christ. And secondly, what that means is when you come to worship on a Sunday morning, it's really helpful if you get rid of the idea that I'm coming to church to get something. I'm coming to get fed. Or I'm coming to be inspired for the week ahead. Now hopefully that will happen. But if the body of Christ metaphor is true, and it is, and you're a part of that body of Christ, then the reason you're actually here on a Sunday morning is for the other people that are here. Because what did that text in Ephesians say? That you have been given gifts to equip one another for works of service that will then build up the body of Christ. So, uh, if, if you are a teacher, then maybe your call is not to teach a Sunday school class, but it's to teach others how to teach a Sunday school class. That way, there will never be a lack of teachers in the church. Because the ones with the gift of teaching are equipping others in order to be able uh, to teach. You know, it's like that old story about uh, you can teach, you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Or you can teach a man how to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Well, that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. God has given the gifts needed in the church to equip one another for a lifetime of ministry, not just for a day. So you're here 
because God has given you remarkable gifts. And, and I don't think it's some magic thing that, you know, I've got one gift or two gifts. Or I think Paul looked over the landscape of the church, all these churches that he had planted, and he saw these remarkable people out there, ordinary in the eyes of the world, but remarkable in the eyes of God. And he said, if you will just be who you are and equip one another, the church is going to flourish. Now, it might even grow in numbers, but that's beside the point. It will flourish as people will experience in deep ways uh, that community that God has created us uh, to be a part of. So God has already given us all of those things that we need. Now, going to the second passage, Romans chapter 12, it teaches us about the body of Christ and faith and adds to it brotherly love. So Paul begins by telling the uh, people in the various churches in Rome. And, and remember that Rome probably had a dozen different small churches in it. It wasn't just one congregation at Rome. There was quite a number of them. Paul begins by telling them, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, Paul does not mean to become martyrs of some sort. What he really means is show up. Showing up is a spiritual act which we do out of faith and we do it faithfully. I think that passage, you know, a living sacrifice has been misunderstood. We think, well, that's for the, that's for the saints. Uh, that's for the missionaries who go overseas. Uh, that's for the people that go into full-time Christian service maybe. But I don't think that's at all true because, frankly, at this point in time, there were none of those people. He meant it for the ordinary people that he's turning into this extraordinary community uh, together. Present your bodies. And he meant that quite literally as a living sacrifice. Well, sacrifices took place at the temple. So Paul's saying, show up. In doing so, then God is able to do the things in you and through you that the body of Christ metaphor implies uh, for all of us. Do you remember when COVID first hit and you had to quarantine at home? All of a sudden, you weren't running from point A to point B to point C for all of the events and sports and everything else that we had to do. And it was kind of nice. How quickly we've all returned, however, to the frenzy of being overscheduled uh, and, and, and busy. Right? It does make a person think that as much as we complain about being busy, we actually like it most of the time because that's where we end up. And that's why just showing up is both a sacrifice and a spiritual choice before it is a time choice. But if Ephesians combined with grace, with the body of Christ and building up love, um, here in, uh, in Romans, he combines faith, the body of Christ, and this brotherly love. Now, I want to make that a non-sexist thing, so maybe familial love would be a, a better way of saying it. And here's how Paul describes that kind of love uh, for one another. Listen carefully to, to some of what he says here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Remember, brotherly love, showing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Communities can do that in ways that nothing else can, and churches in particular. Live in harmony with one another. 
that, that can be difficult sometimes, to be sure. But with the grace of God, we can do it. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Now, do you see, that kind of love that Paul describes there in Romans can't be experienced unless you show up, unless you present your bodies as a living sacrifice uh, before the Lord. Frankly, there's a lot there, more than I can cover just in these few moments. But here are a couple of the traits that jumped out at me, especially as I thought about all of you. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's humility. When I got Baker, I thought to myself, you don't know how good you are. Now, on the one hand, that's humility. That's good. But be careful because you're extraordinarily capable and filled with gifts and talents that God can use in this uh, community to express, convey uh, the, the love of God. Show hospitality. This is a wonderful congregation when it comes uh, to showing hospitality. The work that the deacons can do here, uh, it, to my mind, is just uh, amazing. The, the, the dinners they put on and the receptions they hold after different events here in the life of the church. It's just a very hospitable period. And maybe once again at some point we'll start those soup and uh, uh, dessert and salad uh, lunches uh, after church just to let people get together and enjoy one another's uh, company. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Now this, this community, this congregation experiences all the ups and downs, all the heartaches and heartbreaks of any other community. When someone loses a family member, when someone goes through a difficult marriage, even a divorce, when we experience job losses, when we experience children whose lives are struggling and, and it just breaks our hearts when we see it, this community is going to experience all of those things as much as anybody else does. And you get to rejoice with the good, but also to weep with those who are weeping. And that's part of what the church gets to do. And when we do it, God blesses, and God uses it to, to mend the brokenhearted and to restore hope to those uh, who are hopeless. Be constant in prayer. Uh, this church does that. Live in harmony with one another. All churches try to do that, some better than others. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Friends, how important in this day and age when there seems to be so much contention going on, whether it's around uh, politics, whether it's around COVID, whether it's around, well, you can fill in the blanks. So much contention. What does the world need? It needs to see a community that can live through those times in harmony. To disagree, but to do it agreeably. To never stop loving one another, even if we have strong uh, positions that might be contrary to, to somebody else. And to remember that principle, the weaker brother, the weaker sister. You know, maybe I, I don't need something, but they do, and, and I will accommodate for them out of my love in Christ for the body 
of Christ, you see. That's different than what the world does. They're going to stake their claim, and they're going to draw their swords, and they're going to try to draw blood. But not the church. Not the church. The church is a place where we say to one another, because of Christ, we have more in common than will ever separate us. And we will focus on that and love one another deeply from the heart. When you do that, it doesn't matter if you're seeker sensitive or purpose driven or anything else. People will sit up and take notice because that's what they want. That's what they need because sin has broken them and they're desperate to find the cure. And the cure is in Christ who now dwells within us by his spirit, enabling us to do these aspirational things that Paul has described in Romans chapter 12. Finally, in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he talks about the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It's a long passage, but it can be summed up this way. No one in the church is more important than anyone else. That's it. Now, wouldn't that be a great sermon some Sunday? You know? <laughs> yeah, here it is. No one's more important than anybody else. That's it. You can go home. No such luck. I'm a preacher. <laughs> now, if you want a clear-cut demonstration of that fact, I can do it in a single question. Have you experienced any greater joy this Advent season than you did watching the children at the Christmas pageant? Because no one's more important than anyone else. And in fact, in my 42 years, it's whenever the children get up and start to sing that everybody starts smiling. You know, I get up to preach. Well... But when the children get up, the little ones, and they begin to sing, there is a joy on the faces of everyone out there. You know, it doesn't matter if they sing well. (laughs) I was at one of the soccer games, and uh, uh, Julie Glendening uh, came up and began to talk to me. And you know what she remembered? She remembered the time that the high schoolers were in a choir chime choir and we were playing I think it was Thanksgiving evening at the Red Brick Church and after the second note they got lost and it was a disaster you couldn't tell what song we were playing at all and we just laughed and laughed about that we didn't make great music but there was great joy and see that's what the church gets to do (laughs) if we were professionals the, the paper would say the next day what a disaster it was but Here we are, 30 years later, laughing about the joy even in that (laughs) musically disastrous moment. No one's more important than anyone else. The important thing is that the body of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit gathers together and lives out uh, its life. Children. I think in in many places we want to say children are so important. And of course they are. So 
if our ministry is to all ages, then what are we doing? Children today are facing some of the most difficult choices earlier in their lives than ever before. Every generation has its challenges, and I think my parents probably looked at my generation and thought we had it harder than they did, and I certainly thought that about my children coming up. But I think today we can look around and we say it's a difficult environment for them to deal with. The kinds of choices that they're being faced with, sexual identity choices that are difficult, that they struggle with, And where are they going to find a community that will love them in the midst of those questions and struggles? Not going to judge them, not going to say bad, but it's going to say instead love. Uh, We we can walk with you through those struggles and we can be the body of Christ and include you in those struggles. We're not going to say at the front end, uh, you know, No, you have to make a certain choice, then you can come. We're going to say, you come, and let's work on those choices together. Get the wisdom of of the older folks in the congregation who themselves, if they're honest, struggled with some of those same questions as they were coming along. Didn't you? Of course you did. I know I did. But that's what the body of Christ gets to do. It gets to be that community that is inviting and welcoming and says, we will love you. Now, we may not agree with every choice that they make, but the Bible doesn't say you stop loving when they make a bad choice or a wrong choice. That's not an option. But how could it be? It's no longer who we are. We are now that people who come to the world with arms open rather than arms crossed because we are the body uh, of Christ. But it takes the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. Wisdom, so different from mere intelligence, wisdom requires the Holy Spirit. Wisdom requires us pausing and saying, Lord, I'm not sure. I know what your word says. I believe it. I embrace it with my whole heart and mind and soul and body. But I need wisdom and how I use and apply it. I don't ever want it to become a hammer. Instead, I want it to become like the swaddling clothes around Jesus and the people that he is bringing. That's what I want it to be. But I need wisdom in order for that to take place. But what did James say? If you lack wisdom, pray. And God, who's the source of all wisdom, will give it to you uh, abundantly. Maybe not right away. In which case, you keep praying. Keep asking for that wisdom that God uh, will give you. The story of the church is the story of broken people whom God, in his grace, draws to himself. And they, in their need, recognize the God of all grace and find in him 
a father. In Jesus, a brother. And in the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence and power of this great God. So what does the church need? Nothing. Because God has already given you everything that you need. And as I've said it before, I'll say it again. It all comes down to this. God has given us his spirit. God has given us his church. And those two are enough for you to be a people of light and hope and joy and peace and welcome. He's given you everything you need in the spirit and in one another to be the hope of the world right here in this time and place. I have no doubt about that. And I can't wait to hear how God is going to continue to use you in this place in the years and decades to come. I hope you understand that that is good news and it will never end. Amen. There is no greater name in all of English hymn writing than that of Isaac Watts. He began a revolution in church music that continued well into the 19th century, though he himself was born in 1674 and died before America had won her independence from England. As a little boy, he grew up with the Psalms, but even as a young man, Watts found such music stayed and uninspiring. Challenged to do better by his father, he did. And for 220, 220 consecutive Sundays, he composed a new hymn for his local church to sing. 220 consecutive Sundays without singing a single one twice. Watts, who became an Anglican clergyman, never married. He stood barely five feet tall and was not a handsome man. Most of his beauty was on the inside, and we see it in this remarkable hymn he wrote for the church and the God he loved. Please now stand together and sing, if you're able, Joy to the World.